Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. This is the Living It Up podcast. In this episode, we discuss whether the waste management is a bit too wasted. We talk about Live Las Vegas and the other event happening in Vegas this weekend and look ahead to Riviera. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bdratty. Head to bdratty.com, use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George. Billy's off this week, and I'm on a bit of a flu game. So, George, let's jump right into what happened in Vegas. DJ's back. Um, you know, I, I think it was – they had both – I guess it was just the the Southwest had tough weather this weekend. Um, both the Waste Management and Live sort of had some weather issues. Um, the final round of the Live event that I was watching that, you know, pretty strong winds blowing around there. And I would have assumed – and I kind of looked on a map where this place is that, you know, there's casinos around. It would have been a little protected, but I mean, the wind was, was whipping and definitely affecting guys. Um, and, you know, you, you had to tip live could not be happier with the way the season has started for them. Um, they, they lucked out last week with the weather delay at pebble. So they were kind of the only shop going. And then they ended on Saturday this weekend and because of delays and everything else at Waste Management, they also got another crack at kind of being the only game in town. And they had a monster leaderboard to to back it up. Um, I think the the final group was DJ, uh, DeChambeau, and I think it was Rom. Um, and, you know, the leaderboard was exactly what I think they envisioned when they created this league. And the guys put on a great show. Like DJ's still DJ. You can't tell if he's happy, sad, anything else. Rom's Rom. Hatton had the hot mic going. Um, they had a bunch of celebrities and and whatnot show up and, and be there, including one Thomas Fleetwood, who I guess was uh, visiting his coach, Butch Harmon, in Las Vegas, putting in some work. So, I mean, I think that, that tournament worked out great. It was It was fun to watch it excuse me it was uh, a great um kind of environment i hope they go back to it and you know if nothing else with all the flack that the waste management got this weekend they hosted a tournament in vegas that had the energy of, of vegas but it wasn't sloppy you know or at least with their telecast and everything they did a good job of not showing any of that um it was it was sort of the fun energy that we all like about the waste management without the wasted part from from what they showed. Yeah, it was interesting to actually look at, you know, it, this was Friday afternoon, second round of live, that that leaderboard had shaped up, just like you said, for a pretty explosive final pairing. And at that point on the PGA Tour, you had, you know, not exactly the, the cream rising to, to the top uh, while they were, you know, whatever it was, like finishing the first round and halfway through the second round with all the weather delays that were going on. You know, it turned out waste management had a pretty electric finish, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. You know, I thought I thought I would I would agree with what you said around Live Las Vegas, and, and I would juxtapose it with they had a party hole. You know, Live sort of had a, a party scene at Live Adelaide, and in some ways, I think I expected a little bit more out of out of Live Las Vegas in terms of the the atmosphere and the vibe and the number of spectators. But Adelaide had had raised the bar pretty high, and and it was probably you know too much for me to consider that they were going to achieve that like raucousness on a on a party hole environment. But, you know, to your point, it was a star-studded leaderboard, uh, you know, had all the all the images of 
you know, Las Vegas and, and sort of the, the cool shots coming down the stretch. And so I thought it also delivered with the number of guys that were just, you know, with whatever that was four or five holes to play that had a crack. There were, you know, six or seven guys tied down the stretch and a dozen people that, you know, theoretically could have uh, caught fire down the stretch and, and actually threatened the, the top of the leaderboard. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it literally was exactly what you wanted it to be. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because people on Twitter, funny enough, were DJ's over the hill. He took his bag. He doesn't care anymore. Even though the, the guys won, like, this is his fourth or fifth win since he got there. So isn't exactly asleep at the wheel. I mean, I'm pretty sure no one's ever accused him of being a range rat at any point in his career. So um, the fact that he's like, I haven't touched my clubs you know, before Mayakoba, I kind of put him away after the last event and pulled him out a few weeks before this just to start getting ready again. Uh, so it's it's good. Um, and then, of course, him winning reignited the OWGR controversy this week because he he fell to like 230th in the OWGR, 228, something like that. And I thought Bob Herrick had a really good article really diving into the the issues of why the OWGR is still sort of hung up based on the way they do the math and being the closed shop with the short strokes gained and sort of whatever really goes on deep into the math. Um, and, and then the guys from Tugger kind of chimed in to be like, hey, wait a minute, it's on the surface, it might look that way. But when you look at what these guys are doing worldwide and their other events and everything else, they are technically playing against just as many people over the course of a year as PGA tour guys. In fact, I think they'd showed like Joaquin and a handful of other guys had played against 458 players worldwide. And Scotty Scheffler had played against like 428 or 430, some, a number that was close, but less, which I think speaks to, and I think we're going to see it a little bit this year with how the PGA tour schedule is shaping up that. Yeah. Some guys are going to bubble into these events the big guys are not going to go to the lower events. And so a guy like Scotty Scheffler, to his credit, I think he did play the Amex. So he's he's been in some other events that he, you know, doesn't really have to be in. Um, you're they're gonna probably, I think at the end of the year, if you were to use the Tugger model to look to just to see who's played against how many people, I think we're gonna see that the live guys potentially will have played against more people than the I'll say the top 30 of the PGA tour who are guaranteed into the signature events. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to watch. I think your, your points well taken in the sense of like, if you're someone like a Joaquin Neiman that played DP world tour events, some Asian events and live schedule and the majors that he gets into, which look like it'll be the open championship. And, you know, perhaps whether they historically award at the PGA championship top 100 in the OWGR, not otherwise qualified, he'd still get into that one. And again, we don't have to to go down the the relitigating of all the OWGR points on either side. Not interested. The, yeah, the, the the only part that I'll say, and this is maybe the ironic part of all of it, is the strokes gained uh, rating that the OWGR maintains is actually still a objective way that they're still counting up all the strokes. And by by that math, and I could total it up, I think Joaquin Neiman's like the 16th best player in the world right now, just on a strokes gain standpoint. Um. Right. And so they, they clearly the the fundamental pieces that go into creating the the strength of field and all of those things are all there and, and they can definitely do it. And I mean, one of the things and this is what we had talked about early on in, in Herrig's article touches on it, 
that the the OWGR could, if they just gave him points exactly as it is today, you know, the live guys would be scrapping over 25 points. Whereas I think at uh, waste management this week, it was 55 points or something like that. So the live guys can get points, but they're not, may not be the points that they want. Now, the one interesting thing would be, can once a tour is awarded points, can they determine how to allocate the points? So, yeah, Liv is getting 25 points, but it's only going to give points to the top, what do you got, 54 players now? So only the top 27 players get points. Yeah, you'd have um, to figure out the way to have, you know, that mathematical cut like we've talked about and how weighted is the top five versus the top 10 and 20 and where do you draw that line? Is it top 24 in ties or some number? Uh, just because I know uh, folks may come back at us if I said flippantly that he was 16th. I misspoke, George. He's actually the 14th ranked player in the world, Joaquin Neiman, based on OWGR strokes gained. This episode is brought to you by B. Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. Ten years ago, B. Dratty started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos. They traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic Peruvian Pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple. Today, Bedratty still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bedratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Bedratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Right, and that goes to his, and you you mentioned it. Well, why don't the majors use something like that for their invites? Because it is it is taking everybody into account. And and I don't truly understand strokes gained and, and all of these things, so I'm not going to pretend to do it. But it seems to me if strokes gained is this truly objective thing that can still account for what all these players are doing, regardless of the field, regardless of anything else, why isn't that the OWGR? I mean, like, ultimately, that to me seems like who, in fact, is, if we just had every single guy teed up, who is statistically going to bubble to the top? And and to me, it seems like that very sort of what seems like a objective sort of pulls all the other weird stuff out of these many points were awarded and this and that. And it's like, Hey man, this dude just hits the ball really well and gets it in the hole a little bit better than everybody else. Yeah. If anyone wants to listen back to it, we, we invited uh, the, one of the leaders, co-founders of the universal golf ranking tugger on board. He went deep into the, into the math uh, to a degree and talked about strokes gained and everything else. Oh, George, I can get you up to speed on that afterward. I can tell you all, all the ways that strokes gains works. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was there for it, and I still sort of left being like, yeah, there's a reason I went to law school. Like, No accidents there. But let's talk briefly. Uh, there was another event happening. The Chiefs in overtime, nearly double overtime, which was kind of weird there at the end, pull out a victory 25-22 over the 49ers. George, tell me why this is just further proof that we had Nick Taylor go to a playoff. We had all these Tamu commercials, which was obviously a nod to, to Taylor Swift. And then we've got Taylor Swift's guy winning the game and at 47 points, which was the over-under for many of the books going into the week. And then we've got Joe Biden just confirming that the script was written in advance. 
But tell, tell me why I, I should just not believe it's all rigged. Well, the first thing is, since I have a kid headed to college and we're going to be, you know, looking for every dollar we can find, I might have to change his name to Taylor. So apparently they're just handing things out if you're Taylor. Um, the, I mean, I'm not going to say it's rigged. I I get the, the storyline. It's not as though Taylor Swift started dating somebody and I, I'll go ahead and just take the bullet here. It's not like she started dating someone on the Browns and all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl and about to win. The, the Kansas City Chiefs have been to four of the last five Super Bowls. They have objectively the best player on the planet. That would be Patrick Mahomes, not Travis Kelsey. Um, and it's it's hard to argue that they didn't win that game. I mean, they went down and won that game. I will say this for the people who are dying to have some red meat to chew on, you know, the internet lives on forever. And of course, today there was just play after play after play of some very obvious holding by the Chiefs linemen that did not get called in kind of crucial points in the game. I I don't want to go so far as to say it is rigged because at that point, once the Super Bowl happens, and they're they've made like once the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl and Taylor's on premises, the NFL has made all the money it can make off of this. It has no more vested interest in this story happening. It, it's got the eyeballs. It's got the whole thing. And frankly, I, I'm not going to buy into it. Um, you know, the, the refs are human. All humans make errors. And I am sure because the Internet didn't do it. If you broke down every single one of the 49ers offensive plays, you probably could find one or oh, two. hundred percent. I, I, I that look know. terrible. If you want to, I'm convinced you could find offensive and defensive holding on on nearly every play. It's sort of like the well, NBA. You, There's hand checking all the time. You can call it. Yeah. Anything. If you if you talk to every offensive lineman that's ever played the game, they're like, we hold every single play. They only call it on some of them. So, you know, hey, hats off to the Chiefs. They actually went down and won it. Um, they they made they got some fluke things happen. The the punt that bounced off the guy's ankle, that was a truly, you know total fluke play that got them in great field position. I think they got a field goal off of it. Um, so I, it's hard to say the 49ers got robbed. They they did miss an extra point that would have had a dramatic effect on the way that game ended, um, you know, forcing the Chiefs to really go for a touchdown rather than a field goal to just get to overtime. Uh, but what started off as kind of a slow first half, which was a delight, for for reasons we're going to get to in a couple minutes here um it turned out to be one of the most entertaining super bowls i've seen in in a while yeah i i really liked it it started off slow as you said and it was kind of like a defensive battle you know 10 10 nothing 10 3 at halftime i believe um and what was interesting to me is that it did end up coming down to like you know kickers and and these amazing like plus you know 50 yard kicks that were made um and the guy missing the extra point hats off to both teams i felt bad for shanahan and and purdy and those guys like they played their butts off and you kind of wish that, you know, they would have figured it out. Uh, at least for me, I was kind of rooting for them, kind of tend to root for the for the underdog most times in those situations when I don't really have a dog in the fight. So even though they were favored by a point and a half or two points going in, I sort of yeah. still felt like they were the underdogs to the Chiefs. Well, and I got to, we got to like, you know, we call balls and strikes. I got to tip my cap to Brandle. He actually made a pretty good funny last night. You know, all these 50-yard field goals. Is the ball ruining the game? These guys just can't miss. Uh, so, uh, you know, 
Tat, hat tip to Brandel. That was a funny one. I, I chimed in being that you were you were feverishly on a side chat talking about how they have to roll back the football. But then the and I, this is the weird part of the world we live in. Nothing can be without controversy. Put aside all of the rigged nonsense. The decision to take the ball versus kick the ball with the new overtime rules. I'm going to start by saying I understand what Shanahan did, and I don't disagree with his logic. And his logic, he said it, we wanted the third possession. So I think, and with the way that game had gone, he was confident the Chiefs are going to score. So his his thought in his head is, I have to go score first. They're going to score. And then we get the ball back when it switches. the. So every team gets a possession, regardless of what happens on the first, unless it's a defensive touchdown. If it's a defensive touchdown or a defensive score, so a safety would count, then the game's over. But if the offense goes down and scores, the other team gets the ball and gets a chance to score, match, or win. And so his his mindset was, hey, they're on a roll. We are going to take, we're going to get the ball. We're going to go score first. And then we either make a stop, you know, they match us. We get the ball back. And in that scenario, you are going to win with a field goal of which they'd shown if they basically get to the 40 yard line, they get a field goal and the game's over. So I agree with his logic. Everyone went bananas online. No, you want that fourth down. You want to know. I think in the way that game played out, he made the right choice. Had the game played differently, had it been a true defensive struggle, you want to kick the ball, stop them, and then you know you just need a field goal. Yeah, I, I think the logic was sound, and I think it was Romo said, you know, initially maybe you maybe you're you're getting the you know taking the kick so that your offense goes back on the field when your defense Jim, is back. Jim, 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 you, know. you, you got to think about the permutations of the leverage, and you got to get it. I swear to God. He... I actually really like him, though. I think to me, what's great about Romo is he'll dig into. Is this our last a podcast episode? Uh, maybe. It, here's the thing that it, he does better than most, in my view. He will at least break down like coverages and talk about like why, you know, why, you know, Mahomes or Purdy is going to, you know, throw to this side versus that side when they're in this package. And And as not being a football person, it helps me actually understand how they think about play calling, how they think about like hot routes and how they go through a progression of their reads. And, and I, I don't know that I get that for other commentators, the way that I do Romo breaks it down to me in a simple enough way where I feel like as a non football guy, like I'm not a deep football expert that I can kind of get it. And that's fair. And when he came on, he was really, when he first started, he actually was, I think they, and they, they must've talked to him because he would basically be like, Oh, watch for this to happen and i mean he could see what was happening telegraph the play and it basically unfolded he's like nickel corners coming in here he's yep. gonna go to the hot route on the left side and then that would happen like exactly and and so like that i agree with you some of his insight is good where where i think he falters is and don't get me wrong i think part of it is he is just a football guy he's super excited and the whole deal is he needs to let some plays breathe let the action speak for itself have Nance sort of tee it up for him to then dig into that. He gets so wound up. Sometimes like you don't hear Nance for two, three plays, which is fine. Nance is the best in the game, but he's also, 
a little placid in some regards where I'm like, all right, I don't, I don't know that I totally am still digging this voice for the games. Um, I would actually love to, and I know he does some pregame stuff. Andrew Whitworth, uh, who played for the, he was with the Bengals forever and then went to the, um, the Rams won a Super Bowl. I would love to get him up there, right? Because so much of what happens in these plays is what the line did and the defensive line did and how they handled some blocking scheme. I would love to have one of those guys be a, co a color guy who's breaking down what's happening on the line and how that is affecting everything else that's going on. Yeah, it's interesting. They've often, you know, these guys have been just two in a box. There have been Monday Night Football crews that were three, sometimes even four, which was too much. But I think having a third. Yeah, voice Tony Kornheiser, booth, I think, ended that. Yeah, I think having a third voice in the booth, another player, a guy that's media polished would make sense. Um, I like that idea. So let's let's pivot, George, to what was going on at the waste management. Let's talk about what's going Bow on. Bow down to Washington. Bow down to Washington. Nick Taylor is our champion, our Lord and Savior. Nick Taylor brings it home. And I mean, a huge all-time big dick win. Birdied five of the last six holes he played, including both playoff holes. Just the true champion from the Conference of Champions. That's how we breed them. That's how we build them. Nick Taylor is the greatest golfer on planet Earth. And I dare you to prove me otherwise. Well, when did you find out that he was from the University of Washington? Were you saying this at the Canadian Open last year when he makes that eagle on the, on the last hole? So I'll be very honest with you on this. I'm not proud of it. There is another Nick on tour who played at Illinois. And I forget what his last name is. It's very similar. It's a very bland last name. Taylor, whatever this other Nick is. Every time one of them is near the top of the leaderboard, like I have to Google it and confirm that it's I'm rooting for the right one. Because I do think there was uh, the one from Illinois was doing really well. And I was kind of like all in on it. And I was like, damn it, that's not the right one. I'm going to have to look up exactly who you're talking about. I'm sure it's on the tip of my tongue once I figure it out. Because Illinois I think has he's been on tour for like two, three, four years. Okay. Nick, Nick Taylor's been on there for a, a little bit longer. So I, I always have to check it. But the, the fact you would think I would have clicked by now, Taylor the Canadian is the good one. And that I can always do this. Yeah. And, and so they played nearly 54 holes over the weekend because they were wrapping up, you know, round one, some of it uh, even on, 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 or round two, I should say on, on Saturday, then played the rest of round or the start of round three and then finished up round three and four on, on the weekend or on Sunday, I should say. So they were playing a lot of golf on the weekend because of the early rain that they had, which softened up the course, made it a little bit different than in years past when you had a more firm, you know, the greens are still rolling fast, but a firmer waste management or, or uh, TPC there. And, and, you know, down the stretch, and again, this was cutting into Super Bowl time because they had gotten a late start. You were seeing a lot of guys that had a chance. Scotty sort of, you know, faltered a little bit on the back nine. And then you see Charlie Hoffman make four straight birdies and, you know, vault himself into the lead or an eagle and then a few birdies, I should say. You know, Charlie Hoffman is an interesting cat. He's been out on tour a long time. He's he's perhaps known for wearing the green glove more than he is anything else with a lot of fans. He's also, great, great nickname, the Seagull. Yeah, fantastic hair. I can tell you that, you know, 20 years ago when he was brand new as a professional golfer, I met him down in Orlando and true to form, he was wearing 
you know, like a sort of like a cutoff shirt that looked like a tank top, but it was really just a cutoff sleeves and that mullet. The sleeveless tee. The sleeveless tee was hot yeah. for a bit, minute, Brian. If he had yeah. the guns to do it, the sleeveless tee was the move. I don't know that he really had the guns, but he pulled it off with the hair. He's always had that, you know, flock of seagulls like hair. Well, let's be clear. He's called the seagull because apparently he goes up and down on the driving range and just shits on everybody. That's why he's called the seagull. One of the great trash talkers in all of golf. That is fantastic right there. And earns his way now into Riviera next week. But, you know, there were many that quipped, like, why is this guy even in the field? Um, he had gotten in based on a career money list exemption that he was able to cash in on. And this has happened a lot in the last three to five years. You see guys that are calling in these exemptions for career money list or X number of cuts they've made, and they're able to just eke out starts. He's 47 years old, so he's getting close to the Champions Tour. and In his prime, in the prime of one's life at 47. Thank you very much, Brian. Let's go easy on this. Let's you tread lightly right now. But I think one of the things that's interesting is given, you know, what's going on on the PGA Tour, it does beg the question of, all of these invites, whether it's sponsors invites at Pebble or these career money lists and other exemptions that are happening. And then you've got, you know, the guy again that that finished at, you know, top at Q School, who's been over in the DP World Tour trying to get starts over there. It always just makes me wonder a little bit, like, does the PGA Tour understand that they are not showing off the talent that they could when I think about the youth? And instead, we're just seeing, you know, Zach Johnson and Charlie Hoffman and some of these guys in the swan song of their, of their careers. Well, I well One thing about Charlie Hoffman, I think he's career wise, Scottsdale TPC Scottsdale has been a tournament. He always just plays well at. Um, so I think it's a sponsor as well for a number of years. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's probably playing it no matter what, as long as he can play on an exemption or otherwise. Um, And, but also, like, he's just played well there. Like, I feel like I've always seen him kind of bubbling up to the to the top of that leaderboard. Obviously, I don't think he's ever won it, but he's been in contention. He's interesting. I mean, he is. I remember earlier in his career when he did have the big flowing hair and the whole deal. And, I mean, he is a lock for first-round leader of the Masters. And every time when he did it with the big flowing hair, I just sat there being like, God, please let him win. Please let me see, at the time, Hootie Johnson in Butler cabin with him being like, welcome to the club kid. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, and I think, I think many of his first round leaders at the masters predated for me, at least, you know, kind of placing reasonable wagers on, on DraftKings or FanDuel or what have you. But he was like for the, for the, like a five, seven year period, like a lock for first round leader at the masters. Oh. He must love whatever pin placements they have on Thursdays. Cause he would shoot like no worse than 67 every, every first round of the masters on lock. Um, but then, you know, you, you look at, you know, you're talking about all these exemptions and everything else. And I think, and this is like, I know everyone's frustrated as a golf fan. And there's a couple things. One, I think all golf fans need to just take this season for what it's going to be. The, it, both tours live and the PGA tour, the PGA tour is kind of rebuilding the plane on the runway. Live tours also continues to build theirs as it takes flight. And I, I mean, they're going to, they're going to iron this out. I, I think, but my other take on this is I think the golfers need to take a step back and realize some golfers have fans and they don't have a ton of fans, but they have fans. No one, not a single person on tour today is Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods would get football players to go watch golf, or I should say would get football fans to go watch golf. 
no golfer on the planet today is going to get someone to tune out of a football game to watch golf. Rory's probably the most beloved player across, you know, more broader things because he's just been around. He, he is excellent. Um, but he is, he is not Tiger Woods. Brooks Kepka is not Tiger Woods. John Rahm is not Tiger Woods. Like it, Scotty Scheffler is absolutely not Tiger Woods. So I think these golfers who are trying to scratch and claw and get all these as much money as they possibly can, and I'm not going to fault anybody for, you know, if someone sits down across the table from you and says, I'm going to give you more money than you ever dreamed of to do what you love doing, and they take it, like, good on them. But I think the reality is people are golf fans. If you put professional golfers on TV at the waste management with the energy and everything else. And we'll, we'll talk about that energy here in a minute, but the reality is that's what people tune in for. They tune in for this horse race down the stretch and credit to the waste management. And I, I really wish the PGA tour live people who are thinking about events, thinking about courses to host events, even like the USGA, all these things that finish at Scottsdale never disappoints. Oh, it has the perfect combination of, you know, reachable par five, where there's obviously a lot of risk reward with that second shot into 15, the mm -hmm. electric stadium atmosphere of 16, 17 is that drivable four, or at least you're going to get it up around the green. And then there's a lot of, you know, interesting angles. And they that always green. stick the pin in that little peninsula in the back. And it's fantastic. Oh, totally. I think this is, and it's funny to me, I had a buddy, uh, shout out to my buddy, Pat, who reached out to me and said, why would Liv go up against the best event on the PGA tour. And I said, do you really like, sort of like, I don't know if this is the best event on the PGA tour, but then it made me think like, this is the most mainstream appeal event on the PGA tour by far. Cause it has energy. It, it has energy. It has noise in the background, not music. It has fans. It has energy. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look like golf. Um, and that is now the front nine looks like golf. It's, guys on a golf course, some fans up and down the sides. It looks like golf. The back nine does not look like golf. And once they get to the back nine, they can go to some people who could make a charge doing it on 15, then they get to 16 and they can bring that energy in. And like, I, I think people have to realize when you pull the, the viewer stats from golf tournaments, it's really the back nine on Sunday when the last call it 18, 20 players are on the course. Assuming they're doing twosomes when the last 18, 20 guys get on that back nine, that's when most people are tuning in. You've done church, you've done whatever you do with the family. You kind of settled in, you've, you finished your rounds, you're at the bar, whatever it's going to be. And you're watching that and Phoenix delivers it perfectly. They always have energy. It doesn't look like any other course. It's all built out. They have all this great hospitality. It looks like you're playing golf in a stadium and then you add in, as you pointed out, guys can make Eagle on 15. Like it's, it's there for them. They can make birdies on 15. They can make birdie on 16. And then you got the crowd booing. If they don't go for the pin or they, they fan one, whatever it's going to be. Then you got 17. You can drive that green. You can make birdie on 17. Like you, if someone posts a number in the clubhouse, that person is not untying their shoes. They are staying loose because they know anybody can come chase them down. And over those last 
four holes. Oh, I mean, even though Charlie Hoffman had built up a, you know, I think at one point he stretched it to four, four technically, although I think soon thereafter, Nick Taylor made a birdie to keep it at three. But I was, <laughs> I was actually thinking to myself, like, you know, Scotty is good enough to like go four under on the last four or maybe five under on the last four if he, if he makes Eagle. And so like no lead is really, really safe. And of course, Scotty almost makes ace clearly shows us that he is, he is the, the world's best ball striker by far. Uh, the putter, you know, it's gotten better, still a little bit shaky on, on some of the, he had a three putt, I believe it was on 14. That was really untimely. So he continues to be one of those guys where his floor is clearly like a top 10 performance, top five performance, even when he doesn't have it cranking on all cylinders. Um, but yeah, that I, I love the last four holes and, and let's maybe pivot to. Well, before the... we move on from this, I, I do want to point out that one of the true, and, th- and this is where live for people who have watched some live tournaments and understand sort of what's going on and can, can track a little bit, you know, because of the weather delays, they basically finished the third round and you signed your scorecard and you went right back to the first tee and your exact threesome. So they didn't reshuffle and set it up. So you had guys all over the course that were in contention, but it didn't make sense because they weren't in the final group. They, you had guys in the final group who were out of it, but someone was still in it. You had guys three groups ahead who were leading and you couldn't, people were like, I don't know where they are on the court. I can't figure I, 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 And it's like, yeah, you, you can figure this out. Like it's, it's pretty easy. You know, the tour showed like, Hey, well, he's through this hole. He's through this hole. It's, this is what it's going to be. And we're, we're fine here. Um, and I do wonder, and, and this is a, an interesting question. And you would have to ask a professional golfer, what is it like? Does it matter to you? when you're teeing off in the fourth round and effectively the the concept of everyone the leaders teeing off in that fourth round in the last group you know you basically turn it into match play if i can beat you on more holes than you beat me i'm probably winning this tournament right like i i assume there's a mental thing of i'm not worried what's going on out there i'm looking at the the one or two guys in my group and if i beat you by two or three strokes chances are i've won this tournament now, I know guys check leaderboards and things like that, and some guys go go low. Famously, you know, Rory McIlroy is the poster child of a last round 63 when he's already put himself nine strokes behind, and then it's like, oh, Rory's made a charge. And it's like, well, the guy has to shoot 70, and he's still going to beat him. Um, but I, I, it was funny to watch that because you were seeing on golf Twitter a little bit of people being frustrated trying to figure out who's where on the course, how does, what does this mean, what's going on. Um, so that, that was a little bit of an, an ironic issue because of the weather delays. Yeah. What's interesting is I thought you might've been going in the direction of, you know, people often gripe about the shotgun start, you know, a, a course wasn't built to be finished on the 14th hole or those sort of things. Ironically, no live winner has actually finished not on the 18th hole. And that's because they do a double tee time off of number one. So you've got the last two groups, the, the leaders, if you will, all finishing up there around the same time. But I thought where you were going to go is is there like a flow to the golf course where you sort of know, like all of us know on, on the back nine on Sunday at the masters, somebody climbs up that leaderboard with, you know, a, a birdie Eagle on around, you know, amen corner or around, you know, 13 to, to 15 and they spark up the board, but it's sort of like, yeah, the other guys haven't gotten there yet. And I do think that's a thing that live, you know, it could be a risk in a, in a, in an event where there's, you know, eight or 10 guys that are within a few shots there is that risk of like the flow of the event, not matching up or not knowing where certain guys are on the golf course. But I, I tend to think it's like a manageable risk. Everyone's going to finish on 17 or 18. Yeah. And I think, and it, it raises an interesting question, right? If, if live were to do a tournament 
at TPC Scottsdale, would it hold that drama knowing, hey, some guy just posted, you know, 16 under, but the the last groups are at 12 and they haven't even gotten to 15 yet. Yeah, and that guy like, started his day on the 15th hole and he wrapped around. Right. To, to and, and so it, it does beg a question. To your point, live so far, it's worked out. You know, the, the glitch hasn't risen. But, you know, if someone goes out who teed off on the eighth hole and fires 62 and, you know, is putting putting in for 62 on the seventh hole, meanwhile, the leader is he's tied for the lead and the other guys are putting it on the 18th. Like does, how's that going to work? Cause that, that is going to, there's going to be an energy issue there. Well, well, the fans won't know what's going on if they're at TPC Scottsdale. And that's because most of the, of the fans were completely wasted in doing snow angels in, in the bunkers and, you know, uh, rattling Zach Johnson's cage. George, give me the, uh, the case for why uh, the Thunderbirds need to, to rein this in, why they need to tamp down the energy here. Well, so I, I'm not the person for that. I, I think, and and I, I put this on Twitter, th- this year deserves an asterisk. They got bad weather. They got frost delays every day. So what typically I'm assuming a day out there might be 10 hours between the waves and everything. They were putting in 12, 14 hours, pushing daylight at every turn. It is a raucous event. Everybody knows what it's going to be. But when you add four hours to that, and and not only four hours in the sense of fans being there, but with delays involved as well. So there's nothing to do but go to the bar and hang out and, and drink. And we've all seen it. They they corral them at whatever that is, four in the morning or five in the morning, and they've got to run out to the 16th hole. And, yeah. you know, don't, what, don't what, change what would anything. you expect? These guys are probably like yeah. pregame the night before. They're probably pregame in the parking lot. And, and a lot of guys have said, like, well, we just don't even, like, uh, if we're going to make that our 16th day, like, we don't go to bed. We just roll from the bar to there. And and so I I would say this year they they deserve an asterisk. Are there things to look at? Potentially, yes. Um, but you do not, if they lose the energy of that tournament, they lose what that tournament is. And... I, I, you don't I'll give want you one that. that I think is such a missed opportunity. We talk about sometimes missed commercial opportunities. You know everyone's going to be wasted. I think I heard the number was 130 incoherent or sort of like incapacitated people had to be removed. They're missing an opportunity for like, and no free ads here. There's like these hangover cures. There's like Pedialytes and all these other things. They should have been like, there should have been like a Pedialyte station. And they were like, here you go. We're going to corral these these drunk guys over here to get their like IV bag of Pedialyte so that they can, you know, get through the back nine. Like talk about just a huge missed opportunity to not lean into the craziness around you. I mean, I'm a hundred percent. And I mean, look, we, we were at a golf trip over the summer last year. We ran into weather delays and guys, we had nothing to do, but hang out at the bar. And, you know, half of our group saw that as an opportunity to start drinking tequila by the pint. And unfortunately rode in my cart after that, uh, which was miserable, but the, uh, actually even the caddies weren't immune to that one, but that's another story for another day. And and actually drove my cart, which was harrowing. Um, but the, uh, you know, it's just, what's going to happen. Right. And I, someone else talked about it that look, Scottsdale, this tournament is, is basically like a, it's a winter guys trip and it's going to get a little sideways 
And, and typically in most years, nine years out of 10, the sideways is funny. And um, I'll give Ryan French a shout out. He posted it, you know, in my 20s, 100% I'm in for all of it. In my 30s, maybe a day or two, fly home Saturday night. Now in my 40s, like Charlie Hoffman, like unless I have great hospitality passes, you couldn't drag me to this tournament. Oh, and certainly not I'm gonna corral at five in the morning and go running in. Oh, like, God, good, no, good no. I'm yeah. gonna show up at noon to my great hospitality spot, wherever that is. I'm gonna talk among the civilized people. Am I gonna have some cocktails and enjoy my day? A hundred percent. Will I be the guy like stumbling backwards, sliding down the hill? I hope not. It's not in the cards. It was not the intention when I arrived that day. Um, and so, you know, don't change it. I'm glad. I want these fans to have that day. Now, this brings us to our next point, because I think as they were very inebriated, they started getting mouthier. And they mouthed off to one of America's greatest heroes, captain of our Ryder Cup team, Zach Johnson. And to say he handled it poorly would be a wild overstatement. Don't you sir me. Don't you sir me. And then not only did he just really lose his temper there and, and like, I get it. Right. However, I will say this, Zach, you weren't in the lead and like kicked it away. I think you were two under, you just got over the cut line you know what you're signing up for and you need to chill out. But then he gets in front of a microphone with a reporter and just doubles down on it. And I initially on Twitter today, I kind of gave him a pass. I was like, Hey, did he get caught coming off the course where he's just exasperated? He's just sort of worn out the, the delays, the 54 holes over two days, you know, like more than they're used to start, stop all this stuff. Like, yeah, maybe you just caught him at a bad time. And then someone else pointed out that at the Ryder Cup, he made kind of gotten a snit because he felt there was a flyover during his opening remarks that stepped on his remarks. So he just sounds like maybe a prickly guy. And if that's the case, why are you here? There are 47 tournaments a year that Zach Johnson can go play with his lifetime, whatever he may or may not have. Don't go to this one. Yeah, he pointed out like, this is his 21st or something, 20, 21 years that he's come exactly. here. Exactly. He's, like, he's like, the course sets up well for me. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, wear some like earplugs or something if you can't take the heat. And again, th- does it? I mean, it it had a lot of ra- and now granted he didn't know before he showed up. It was super soft. It plays probably 72, 50, 7,100 yards. I don't think Zach's got 71 in the in the tank to be competitive. Yeah, can you make a cut? Sure, probably. But Zach, like, why don't you go to Harbortown? Why don't you go to the Colonial? Why don't you go to, obviously, you'll play the John Deere every year. Like, go to courses that you, and events you know will be the more placid outing you're looking for. Don't come to this one. Yeah, there was a funny moment when Billy Horschel, and he was he was clapping back at someone or for his playing partner. There were people just kind of yapping it up during a guy's backswing. And he's like, we're trying to do our jobs here. And, and I wanted to just, like, say to him, like, what is your job during the Waste Management Phoenix Open other than to be an entertainer and to take the silliness around you? Like that's that's also your job is to 
to entertain. And I can't believe I'm going to do this on this one because I saw the video clip. I am going to side with Billy Ho because there's, there's two pieces to this, right? There are the golfers who are playing and you know you're in for just a rowdy crowd. There's also the fans that are going and you know you're going to a golf tournament. And you should know that you don't talk as soon as they, you know, if they're in their routine, setting up everything else, whatever. When they step in to the shot, you know to pipe down. And then as soon as the shots hit, you can be as rowdy and everything else as you want. But so the, the fans have to understand their responsibility. And, and someone said it on Twitter perfectly. In a 14-hour day of drinking, you have to be quiet in 20-second intervals. You should be able to pull that off. I knew I could goad you into defending Billy Horschel. You walked right into that one. No, I, I agree. There, there's definitely two sides to this coin. And I think, you know, at 16, you know it's going to be crazy. Probably at 17, you know on that T-ball it's going to be nuts since you just got to deal with the uh, deal with all the chippiness around you. But I do think, you know, whether it's the Thunderbirds or the volunteers that are out there, they do have to do a better job around, like, just the everywhere else on the golf course. And that may have contributed to why on Saturday uh, we had a buddy out there and they had to cut off alcohol sales at 2.30 in the afternoon. So just a ton of, uh, you know, outside the ropes drama that is now the Waste Management Phoenix Open. I'll be curious if they do try to rein it in next year, if the Thunderbirds well, feel like they uh, got, let's be honest, got like we, sort of in a tricky spot. The, our friend that was out there, <laughs> hi, Brandon. They, they saved Brandon from Brandon by That's cutting true. off alcohol. At 2.30. <laughs> like he may have been one of those ones swan diving into the bunker on 16 and doing uh, snow angels. It, it wouldn't. I mean, I, I think immediately we have other friends that there's a video of them reenacting the Top Gun uh, beach volleyball scene in one of the bunkers on our course um, who have gone on to join very prestigious clubs and are upstanding individuals. Um, so, you know, all of us get caught in a moment, but yeah, I don't I don't know that he would have been snow angels in the bunker, but uh yeah, he definitely could have probably put together like an eight foot cup snake on his own had they not cut it off. And so I wanted to pivot away from waste management, talk about what was going on on the corn ferry tour down in Bogota, uh, Colombia. We had two sub 60 rounds, including a 57. George, tell me why you were finally on my side and we need to roll the ball back as soon as possible. I'm not I'm not on any like I am against I almost quit golf altogether over this 57 hullabaloo. It's 57 in a tournament. It's an amazing score. And within 7 minutes of it being, you know, published it was a 57. Everyone starts picking it apart. The course is too short. It's an elevation. It was playing at 3,100 yards when you factor in the wind and blah, blah, blah. No one else shot 57. No one else broke 60 on that course the day he shot 57. So you know what it was? It was a record-breaking, incredible round. Like, this is why golf is doomed. If people can't just be like, damn, that was awesome. Congrats to him. Oh, it was unbelievable. And the fact that this guy shoots 57 in the first round, Cristobal del Solar, and shoots 75 in round three, ends up finishing fifth in the event, shot 63 in the final round. But to go from 57 to 75, I mean, let's just celebrate that for a moment. That's unbelievable. And then you've got uh, Potgeiter, uh, I think it's Adrian Potgeiter, 
uh, ends up finishing in a tie for for 20th place here, shoots a, a 59 in, in the second round. I mean, just a phenomenal, I don't know, scoring opportunity for these guys to be at elevation. I think the net was 6,200 yards. And I, I read back because there's no shot length that he was basically like, yep, drove it near that green, got up and down, drove it near that green. Yeah, got up and down, drove it near that green, got up and down. So just a, you know, he did have to to hit the shots. An amazing round. I tip my hat to him. Uh, but yeah, phenom phenomenal scoring opportunities out there, though. Yeah, and but no one else did it. it even one thing, if he, he shot 58, I mean, 57, and there was like four 58s behind him and three 59s, and it was a huge bunch. He was leading by four. So it, it, it infuriated me. Here's something else that infuriated me about that, potentially. And this comes back to professional golf and signing of scorecards. Everybody in the world was following this round by Twitter because there was no video of it. You can tune in and watch it. How outrageous would it have been had, you know, he shoots 57, his playing partner writes a, a wrong number on the card for 58, he signs it, and he doesn't get the 57 and gets like a two-stroke penalty. Even though all the digital stuff, Corn Ferry was immediately out. We got a 57. Everybody knew he shot 57, and this whole round could have been undone because of a scoring error by his playing partner that's that's marking his score. But that Can didn't we come do... to pass. And isn't that I know, the I know, responsibility it... to check all his numbers? But no, no. You know what? No, it's not. We have everything tracked now in these professional tournaments. This isn't your club championship where you're out there and it's just the two of you and you got to, like, keep it going. Like, <clears throat> we have all this technology. The signing of the scorecard has to go. I, it, it's just got to go. And thankfully for him, it wasn't televised because there would have been some numbskull who would have been like, oh, I think he improperly pushed a blade of grass down and that should be a penalty. And then he signed an extra score card and that's another penalty. And so his 57 turns into a 61 or whatever because of the Lexi Thompson bullshit that happened years ago. Golf is that's insufferable. The part, the part that was stinky to me was the part that he clearly is, and I forget what it was, but he's like, you know, 12 under through 12 or 13 under through whatever. And like, he clearly has a historic round going. How do they not just get a handheld, you know, iPhone camera and follow this around? Like, you don't even have to talk over it. Just show me a live Instagram or YouTube video of like, hey, history in the making. Tune in here. I mean, again, we, we talk about this sometimes, like the, the Barstool guys and stuff, like they get it right. Like build some drama, eyeballs will show up. But again, I think the PGA Tour just trips over themselves based on media rights and again, this wasn't even on TV. So like, why not do something? And, well, and, and they trip over themselves because... You know, you and Billy have talked about it, you know, your time in the Navy and things like that, where the, the worst explanation possible is, well, that's just the way we've always done it. And it's, well, that's the way we've always done it. And I'm with you. Like, guys, be dynamic. Be be on the ready. We have phones now that can take cinematic quality video. Get someone in there and start, like, getting this out there. I, I was glued to Twitter, like... Back in the day of, I imagine people like getting their ticker tape things off of like the stock market of what's happening. And this is what I'm doing. I'm watching text of another birdie, another like, you know, updates of the scorecard. I'm refreshing the ESPN app, trying to figure out what's going on. Where is this guy? How, how are we doing? And we've got to do better. We're, we're in the year 2024. We've got to do better. If the, if the goal is to make a product 
for fans who are watching on TV, phones, computers, whatever it's going to be, golf has got to figure out how to deliver that product in as many verticals as possible. And it just is infuriating that they can't do it. And it looks like the only ones that can figure out the media and, and teeing up buzz and creating some scarcity is Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods will be teeing it up this weekend at Riviera as a playing host. But this evening, actually in real time, they have just announced Sunday Red SDR, which is weird because Sunday is in fact one word, but they're somehow going to split this into Sunday Red. And Tiger Woods with this sort of like deconstructed sort of looks like the Greg Norman Shark logo, Tiger logo, is going to have his own tailor-made brand. George, am I going to see you in Sunday Red this Sunday? Well, is it Sunday or is it Sunday? I, all right, I'm just going to come out. This is going to be a massive flop. I'm, I'm getting right out ahead of this. This is going to be a massive flop. This has... Tiger's fingerprints way over it too much already. Why are we breaking up Sunday? Like everybody knows Sunday is the final round. What are we doing here? This is going to be a calamity. Are we going to see it in any pro shops in clubs? Or is this going to be at Kohl's? Is it going to be at Dick's Sporting's Good? Where's this going to be? I I already hate. Who's he partnered with? TaylorMade is sponsoring. Oh, TaylorMade is like the clothing manufacturer, but they're giving Sunday Red again three words there, which is a, an interesting play on words. Uh, and Tiger's logo plastered all over it. We've got some. So I can't wear it on cloudy days, unlike zero restriction, which is the best weather gear going only on Sundays. This, this is the God. This is so dumb. I think it will be in all Dick Sporting Goods. It's going to be in all the big the big retail stores. I, I guarantee you you're going to see a Barstool foreplay collaboration with Sunday Red here before too long. I, I don't think it's going to be a hit, but I don't think it's going to be a flop. And the reason is I don't think Nike, we talked about this you know months ago when the Nike breakup and Tiger happened, like they really just kind of underinvested in making at least a pass at making something iconic. Like the TW logo stunk and did for a long time. And I don't know, I, I, I'm willing to see if they come up with anything that is a better fit than Tiger has historically been in lots of baggy stuff and a lot of like, you know, 14 belt loops and, and some weird pants. So if they can make something that looks sharp and, you know, the logo is not so gaudy, uh, it'll probably it'll probably go, go pretty no, well. And th this is where I, again, Nike exists to market and make money. They didn't, the Tiger Woods, I, I'm convinced the Tiger Woods didn't fail because of Nike. I think he probably had his fingers too hard on that because the Jordan brand golf shoes fly off the shelves, look fantastic, and like, they're great. The Tiger Woods shoes looked like he got off his nursing shift and showed up to the course real fast. Uh, so I I don't know. I, I have very low expectations which means like, hey, he'll probably do just fine with it. But is is Tiger Woods is just fine okay for the Tiger Woods brand? Did Michael Jordan settle for just fine? Like, no. He's the most iconic golfer we know. And to do this, uh, it's just very dumb. Now I'm thinking of like, we got to break up like Saturday, come up with a color. 
you know, partly cloudy, something or other. Like we got to come up with something there. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Time will tell. But I but I do know Tiger playing at Riviera in, you know, the, the signature event this week. Uh, you know, George, tell me what you think Tiger, we're going to get out of Tiger this week. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll capture it in this way. There was an interesting wrinkle in this 70-man field that, that was shown, which is they will have a cut in this event, low 50 in ties. But however, if you're within 10 shots of the lead, you're also going to make the cut. So in theory, everyone could make the cut this weekend. What's a you? Is Tiger making the cut in his own event? I have to look at the weather to see what's... I mean, this course has been drenched over the last week and a half. Um, if if there's any more rain coming, it's going to be lift cleaning place. Um, so you will see low scores again. The greens probably be a little bit more receptive than we're used to seeing there. And if that's the case, I honestly don't know. And I, I say this only because and not because of like Tiger's current state or anything else. He's just never really done well at this tournament. He he has never won it. Um, I don't know that he's ever really challenged to win it. I my history's not great. I got a hand up on that, but it's one of the few that he's never won. And I my expectation is: can he be within the top fifty and ten of the lead? We'll see. I mean, he wasn't exactly lighting it up in Albany at the hero and there was only 20 guys there. Um, and now you've arguably got 70 of the very, very, very best players in the world. And I say that because, you know, obviously everyone who got the top 50 from last year, that's in plus all the, the guys who get in on the various qualifying criteria this year. So you basically have, you know, 50, very, 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 very good players. And 20 hot hands plus Tiger. Well, I'll say 16 hot hands plus four sponsors exemptions. Um, interestingly enough, JT sneaks in because Matthew Pavon decided not to go. And so JT was sixth on the Aeon and gets in. And that's how he's getting in. But I thought he was, yeah, he in was on the getting top in 30. as a sponsor's invite and also the top 30 at WGR. So he had a bunch of ways he was going to be in this event. So it's it's weird, but in and this is where I think there's still a flaw in the the system. So like, if he gets in on the Aon five because Pavon's out, so he moves in. Does number thirty one on the uh, OWGR yeah. get in, or do they? Is that spot open? And you'd think with a seventy man field, like guys, let's get it to seventy two. I mean, like, I don't know the what what's going on with these things is is weird to me. I know it's a reaction to live. So for everyone who wants to bang on live, like, you know, lions don't, you know, mind themselves with the opinion of sheep, but obviously the PGA tour is paying attention to what live is doing and mimicking it in a lot of ways or coming as close to the line as they can. Um, and this is a perfect example. So I, I don't know. Um, he's not going to win. We know that he's never won this event. So for him to come out and win, it would be, a historic thing simply because even at the peak of his powers, he couldn't win this event. Um, can he be within 10 of the lead and or top 50? I honestly don't know. I mean, we haven't seen him. It, it's like I said, he didn't really light up uh, Albany, even though everyone was like, man, his move looks good. He looks great. And he's doing good things. So uh, we'll watch. I mean, look, he's playing in the field. Am I going to watch it? A hundred percent. And and this is one of those things that I will, this is one of the courses over the 
during the the PGA Tour year, I tune in for the course. Am I rooting for the course like people root for the U.S. Open? No, I'm not. I just love this course, the ghost trees, everything about it. Like it, it just shows out on TV so good. I love this event. I love this course. I watch it to see that. Yeah, I'm with you. I really enjoy this course, not just like the 10th hole, very iconic drivable par four, but they've got so many great green complexes. And Did they positions. fix that green? Have they, I don't do think you know, they've done anything dramatic to it. Because like last year or the year before they did this, they, they actually explained that the green on the right side because of that bunker is now like six inches higher than it's supposed oh, yeah, to be yeah. I, because I of all the sand coming the out sand. that's yeah. that's that's done it so I, I was like did they fix that because they they need to fix that green to get it back to the way it was originally designed because then you do make it a real like hey i'm gonna go for this because now guys just bomb it deep left and they'll pitch up into the slope and there's really not a ton of risk there although i think dj who's done really well at this tournament like famously took like a double there because he just he put himself in absolutely the wrong position every single time and there's just no way to stop a ball in some of those spots so i i hope they've redone the 10th because it really is an exciting hole um it's a beautiful hole it's not just a, a smash and hope hole like you you have to go for it and hit the shot it has asked you to hit yeah the architecture buffs will probably say they've been shouting this for a while but i remember it was around this time last year that i first had heard about you know how many centimeters of sand can be added over time and that that one in particular had you know based upon the bunkers and propensity to hit it here it had gone up uh, over time yeah and the other thing and, and people again will say this is like a you know no no duh but you know, greens only get smaller over time as well. And when you look at like overhead drawings, you'll see that like, oh, this this green got a little bit crept in as the mow lines just got narrower and narrower on this side. And and I, I remember reading that this was one of those ones that like some of the runoff areas were actually green at one point and they had been turned into sort of chipping, chipping sort of fringe area. By the way, so, and I don't mean to, are, are we done with the Genesis? Are we going to keep talking about this? I mean, the only thing that I would say is I, I tend to think, and, and to go back to my question on will Tiger make the cut, this has never been one of those ones. I was looking at the winning scores, other than when Yako Neiman won it a few years back, no one goes super deep here. And so it's sort of like, can he remain around par? I don't think anyone's going to go, you know, 10, 12 under in the first few days. And so if he can scratch around rounds at par, he probably makes the weekend. And of course, you know, with Sunday Red being a thing, it would be ironic if he's, you know, only in a hosting capacity wearing his his Sunday Red for this Sunday. Yeah, so with with regard to who I'm looking at this week, I am there are there are four guys like I will I want to watch and see how they do. I want to see Ludwig play here. Like his stats since he's actually come on tour. Are, By the way, can we appreciate he's never played in a major championship and he's basically a top 10 player in the world right now? Like that yeah. is crazy. And like his his birdie stats and eagle stats since he came on tour are fairly stupid. Now, granted, I don't know he's he's I don't want to knock the courses he's played, but you know, Rib's a big boy course that requires you to be precise and do things the right way. Um I want to see how Ludwig does. I want to see how Victor does. You know, he dropped out of waste management. By the way, the guys who withdrew from waste management kind of like last minute, how happy do you think they are that they just ducked that bullet? Like Ludwig, Xander, a bunch of these guys, they're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm not feeling it. Some, I got to work on some stuff. How happy are those guys? It is a funny way that the calendar shapes up. Like you do have to take some rest at some at some time. Like Matthew Pavon, you're saying, isn't going to play this week. 
The guy's been on, you know, heaters, which is stupid. What is he doing? Like, well, he's played for like the last like five or six weeks straight. So like it's he just a signature event. Off. You're gonna get a check, Matthew. Like show up. He's That's a, how the WGCs used to be. If guys were injured, they'd peg it on the first hole. I remember watching Daniel Berger do this yeah, and be like, oh, he like came head. out, pegged it, and was like, oh yeah, it turns out my back's right. not too good. I, this Pavon thing, dude. We are not gonna know your name. Well, I mean, I don't want to honestly say. We just met you. Shouldn't you want to keep the introduction going just in case? That is what I would say. And you've worked your entire life. You worked your way into these jackpot tournaments, which you now have for the rest of the season. Like bow out of whatever numbskull. I'm with you. I would definitely play in past this. It. Uh, I would I would definitely play in this for sure. Even if you play no practice rounds or you just putt and chip and like let your caddy yeah. scout out the golf course, like you got to show up and play for this one. Yeah. And the ones that I want to see child is being born this week. Oh, totally. I, I, I would say this is a a huge miss by him. But so I want to see Victor. I want to see Ludwig. Um, I would love I I'd love to see Max. What's he going to do here? He's been a little quiet recently. I feel like, yeah, we maybe we're due to see something from him and i mean i would love to see the final four on sunday like i i will go chase it down on i'm sure over 12 platforms that it will be shown on to actually watch the entire final round i want the final four to be in no particular order ludwig victor max and jordan and I would be, be riveted to my TV. Yeah, that would be electric. I mean, Max obviously won this event. He's a big hometown LA guy. So that's always fun to see him pop in there. The ones that for me, I am just, I'm kind of interested to see how they do because they seem like they're resurgent. And that is, you know, Justin Thomas has played really, really well the last few weeks. Uh, Sayeth Tagala has been on, you know, sort of doing Sayeth things, like makes a ton of birdies. And, and the guy's just fun to watch. And, and the so. one for me that is like, is he back is, is Cameron Young. I've always loved his game. I've loved his demeanor and to see him have a little bit of a, a falter of a, of a season by his standards, what we knew of him the year prior, he does seem like he's striking the ball well. And then you, we talked about sponsors exemption. So Will Zaltoris gets a sponsor exemption along with Gary Woodland, Tiger Woods granted one uh, to himself as well. Uh, but, but for me and then Adam Scott uh, as well, but I, I'm very curious to see like, is well, Will Zaltoris back is Cam Young back is JT back. I think JT's back. I think JT's back. And I, when I say JT's back, I think last year, given his career to this point, everyone can say last year was was the hiccup. Uh, not my favorite player on tour, but I until proven otherwise, last year was the anomaly. He just he, needed carbs. Like he, he should dietitians, be a, people. He just yeah, needed carbs. He, I think he should be a top twenty player year in and year out for a very long time. Um, I, I agree with you. Actually, Sahith, dude, he's got some Jordan in him. Like he he puts it around the course. He sees a lot of the course when he plays it, and i i could I could be down for watching some of that. Zalatoris, I know he's coming back from injury, so I don't want to get too carried away. But is it is it starting to be like stop trying to make fetch a thing? Like I I just he had that meteoric run and it was truly incredible he puts worse than scotty um and this is what i was going to get to when i asked if we were done with genesis because in the background i have the final round back on 
um, golf channel. Dude, do you think Scotty has just blocked Dave Pell's number? Like, I, I don't get if, – if he just learns to putt, if he learns to putt, he could be the most boring, dominant player we've ever seen. He'd be like Greg Maddox of golf. Like, uh, nothing dazzles you, but God damn, he could be so good. You know, it's funny to me because we've seen him switch from, you know, essentially a Newport 2 style putter to a different brand, but essentially the same exact putter. And he's missing putts the same way, where it just looks like the blade is a bit open. You saw Brad Faxon on, on the telecast talk about, you know, yeah, it just looks like he's kind of wiping that blade, you know, keeping it open on yeah. the way through and missing another putt right. And it makes me wonder, like, yeah, has no putting instructor really gotten to him and said, hey, could we try a mallet? Could we try something else? that might like, help you close that face a bit. And, and it like, just, I don't know. This, like lab golf, lab golf, whatever, whatever dollar you have left that you can scrape together, like we're going to pay you $5 million to put our putter in your hand. And you're going to putt with lab putters. And like, and maybe the risk is like, Oh no, actually he's such a bad putter. <laughs> we, we can't risk it. Um, I, I don't know, but if this guy learns to putt, no one may win again. I mean, he, like you pointed out, the best ball striker. He drives the ball with that fade that's just like, I am sending it up the left rough. It is coming back to the fairway. I don't care. The harder I swing, the further it goes, and it still just peels to the right ever so softly, so perfectly. I'm going to hit at every pin because I can, and guess what? It's a total rodeo from like 8 to 14 feet. I might three-putt. You don't know. It's it's like the Jordan Speed experience without any charisma. And like Scotty, we gotta figure this out. Either I need you to be utterly like put us to sleep dominant because if you learn to putt, nobody ever ever wins again. Oh, I joked that he could win the Grand Slam. Like, and and I believe it. Like, if this guy learned to putt, not learned to putt, he's obviously a fantastic player, a fantastic putter. But if he was able to be even tour average or above tour average. Uh, I mean, he would have won. Be elite. Won Joe everything. Flacco elite. Yeah. So, so that's a one and gosh, yeah. Will Zaltoris, you mentioned his putting stroke. He's another guy that like, you know, has gone to the claw and the broomstick and all these things, you know, time will tell. I'll, I'll go to maybe something close to home, which is George. We just had this one club and actually playing with one club is illustrative. And we talked about this last time on how you have to get creative. And it actually shows you, I think something about your putting stroke as well. And I, I was playing with a seven iron. My two buddies were playing with seven iron as well. Both of them ended up, you know, after a few holes, they didn't like how the blade method was coming off the off the blade for them. So they turned it around and just putted left-handed. And I'm telling you, I've never seen these guys putt better in my life. Like the ball is just flowing off the back edge of a seven iron. And it made me think like, are we all just overthinking this and not being athletes when it comes to putting? And we're getting way too technical and we're getting, and, and you know me and the way I am, I'm pretty freaking technical. But I'm like tempted to now like go grab the back of my seven iron and just start putting left-handed. Well, so to that point, actually, as soon as you said that, one like the first set I ever got was like a Mizuno three five seven nine junior set, and it had the old you know flat blade putter that right or left you just turned it around if you wanted to putt left-handed. And I had gone through no Begay shot fifty nine with the eighty eight oh two. He putted both yeah. directions at down and, Dominion Club. And one day, like I was just frustrated, you know, not that I was ever like some aspiring, fantastic junior golfer, 
but I was like, nothing was falling. I'm going to putt left-handed. And I just turned it around and I putted left-handed and I made a ton. I mean, you see guys go left-hand low on putters a lot. And I was like, oh, now fast forward, have I maintained that and been like, hey, I'm going to go buy a new putter. Let me try your left-handed putters and just putt left-handed. No, I, I've never actually done that, which the, I think there's something to it. I mean, like, look, Phil Mickelson, right-hander, plays left-handed. I think there are certain strokes, especially those, like, you're just doing this weird thing. And if you train your body to just do that, I think there's something to it. Um, how'd you finish up, by the way? You know, I started off with a double bogey, which is uh, not not in any way related to the, the zero restriction I was wearing because we had some rain for the first few holes and I was feeling very good in my zero restriction. Just caught a caught a bunker on on the very first hole, red three, and made kind of a, you know, just a pretty standard double from there with a seven iron only. And then I cleaned it up after that, shot 41, finished tied for second overall. Uh, actually had three birdie looks inside of, call it 12 to 15 feet. You know, didn't really hit the hole. Um, had some good looks though, and and I think it would have been fun to make one or two birdies because you're out there with a seven and like I don't know, I hit some pretty cool shots from like 100 and you know 15, 125 yards, which is like again fun to to think about because I can get very analytical, and when you just have to like feel it and feel how far you got to take it back and how you got to punch this thing or or hook it or cut it in there, it's it's kind of a fun creative way to play. Yeah. So to give everyone some color. This was on Sunday. Saturday, Brian and I played, and we just went out and kind of knocked around late in the afternoon until it got dark. I was supposed to play in this tournament. I had to coach basketball, and I couldn't get my game moved. So I was going to play with the three-wood, and we were just goofing around, figuring out how to hit shots. He's hitting his seven-iron. I'm trying to figure out a three-wood, you know, like how to do this. Um, and... To Brian's credit, he showed me on the par threes, just teed up really high and just kind of like hit it on the upswing. And I have to tell everybody, if you if you have a club or something you can go play where you don't have to pay to go play like nine holes, take one club out and just go hit it. Just go play with that one club. And, I, and, and not only is it just fun and it just mixes it up a little bit, but it does make you hit shots. Like, what can I do with this? How do I figure this out? Like, what do I do with my hands? How do I change? Where do I put it in my stance? What do I do? Um, I I have a, I had a great uh, golf teacher out in California for a brief moment um, who said, if, you're, if you have a club in your bag, you can't hit. The only way to fix it is to go out and hit every single shot with that club because you will figure out everything that club can do. And if you even are mildly competitive in trying to figure out, like, how to fix this you will learn to hit that club and then everything goes away and it's like perfect again so hopefully my three wood because i chose three wood there's a number of holes that three wood would set up great almost drivable from the white tees for this event but also like i've been struggling with my three wood so i was like we we are just going to make amends we are going to like tie ourselves together and figure this out yeah with the seven iron and in that sort of round that we were poking around i hit again i'll call it one of the most fun shots that i've hit in a while it was like whatever 65 70 yards you just got to lay the lay the handle down real low and sort of sevy style just chop you know cut a, a a seven iron and knocked it into a tight little pin brian's being modest he almost had an ace where he opened it up and was like we were on the tee box and he's sitting there like well this is a seven he opens it up like that's the eight opens up that's the nine and then he stepped up and I think the ball mark was in like eight inches of the pin. Uh, so Brian's being modest here. He can do things with clubs that we all aspire to do. 
It was super fun though. And again, I, I have not played a lot in the last few months and, and I feel like in this way, uh, I've been working a little bit on fitness stuff and I, I, I felt like I learned a few things about just setup and things that you have to do if you want to shape the ball. And so, uh, for what it's worth, you know, like George said, get out there, play with, you know, one or fewer clubs and kind of relearn how to one, be creative, have some fun with it and learn how to shape some shots. So I, I would definitely recommend folks consider it certainly during the winter when, you know, the stakes are lower. Yeah, 100%. That's just fun. And I mean, half bags, all those things. This is winter golf. Expectations should be super low. We're like, we got out because it was, I think, 62 degrees in the Washington, D.C. area uh, in February. So I, I was just happy to not be inside and and out hitting, hitting the ball around a little bit. So uh, encourage everybody to use winter to just have fun with golf. No expectations and, and fall back in love with some clubs that you may have falling out with a little bit well george this is a fun one i look forward to riviera and seeing if the the host is wearing his sunday red just hanging out by the 18th or if he's actually playing on sunday but it's always a fun tournament i agree with you the ghost trees are amazing and i love this golf course so i look forward to watching this one yeah and since billy's not here sunday red it's fucking dumb Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.